for those of you who were not here last week and are wondering what in the world is the, are the Olympic circles doing on our, on our screen behind our, uh, with our words for worship, but also you'll see this, see this um, logo throughout the message today. We're starting a series for the first five weeks of, of the fall here, uh, detailing out what our vision and values are, and specifically, um, we're identifying five circles in our life or in the context of the church that brings significance to who we are as a son or daughter of God, but also our part in the body of Christ. And so last week, uh, I started with the first circle, and that first circle um, indicates, and you can move to that next slide, the first circle is um, uh, us in our relationship to God. And so that daily interaction with Jesus, that daily place where we say, God, I need you, and we do that in a variety of ways, and I didn't unpack um, a daily devotional time with the Lord or what that looks like um, in my life or what it could look like in your life. But we are encouraging people to spend time with Jesus, uh, to, to engage in a daily encounter with the Lord. And we can do that not only by ourselves, but we can have an individual encounter with God, even in services like this. And I believe that probably many of you have already experienced and encountered that relationship with him. In, in some ways, we identify that with being revived in God personally, and we also find ourselves being revived in God corporately, but that one-on-one relationship. This, this morning, I'm going to talk about the two and three. What does it look like for us to have peer relationships, relationships with one another that sharpen us and encourage us to walk wholeheartedly for God? Next week, we'll talk about our, the tens in our life, the circle of tens, the in the context of our life as a church, those faith groups that Jana was talking about, what does it look like to have authentic community, be refreshed in community um, as we meet together on a regular basis in small groups? A hundreds would represent our weekly gathering of encountering God and being equipped to live for God. And then what does it look like to take all of those interactions with God and one another and reach the community beyond the church? And we'll talk about the last week. But this week we're going to talk about that second circle, the twos and threes. Um, being refreshed in community through relationships that help us succeed and sharpen us. When I was, golly, um, I am 48 years old, and uh, this, is a, this is an old memory, but it, it came right to my mind as I was thinking about this message this week. And uh, when I was 22 years old, I took, uh, and at that time I lived in Texas, and I took a long car ride journey with a, man, a, a, a peer in my life, a friend in my life, that um, over the course of that previous year or two, we had, had gone um, deep in friendship with one another, challenging one another in the Word of God, walking with one another in the area of relationships. This man's name was Jeff Bianchi. And Jeff and I traveled as 20-year-olds across country to visit my sister in New Mexico. And in the car, we sang, we worshipped, we, we uh, read scripture together, we yelled at one another, we got angry with one another, we forgave one another, and that cycle kind of went in and out, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly all happened together. Anybody understand that kind of relationship? Yeah, we know those relationships. The relationships that are deeper than we, we could ever imagine that they could be in a positive way and deeper that we want, want them to be in a negative way. You know, it's like we know each other. 
uh, by our, uh, we know each other after our flesh, I would say, and we know each other after our spirit, and we're trying to love the flesh and promote the spirit. We had, uh, we got to New Mexico, we uh, spent some time, you know, living life and having fun and playing golf and hiking the mountains, and we uh, drove back and we, we acknowledged that, and, and part of the scripture that God was taking us through was the, the relationship between Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. And we said to one another, I believe that it's my call in your life, and he said this to me, I believe it's my call in your, in, in, in your life to be Jonathan's to one another. That we would be the kind of friends that would love deeply, war for one another, and be committed to each other for life. And we made a, we didn't make a blood pact like you make when you're like six or seven. We didn't like prick our fingers and put our fingers together. You know, we didn't do that. But we looked at each other and we said, you know what, I'm for you. And come thick or thin, hell or high water, I'm in your corner. Now, fast forward, however many years later, Jeff ended up uh, moving out here with me to start the church in Brighton 18 years ago. As a single man, I was married, had uh, two young children, he was single. And he came out and we did this thing together. We fought together, and we established a church together. We prayed together. We warred together. And for 17 years, we fought in these trenches together, establishing not one church but three churches and multiple works overseas as friends, as Jonathan's, walking this life out. Last year, Jeff and his wife and his family um, uh, finished their season here and have moved out to San Diego, and now he's on the West Coast doing the same thing, and I can say publicly, and I've said privately, that the same prayer that was in my heart, the same friendship that I had with him 18 years ago, I have today. That whatever Jeff needs, whatever Jeff's call in life is, if I can play a part to support and strengthen and encourage and fight for him and fight with him, I'm committed. Because that's the relationship that God gave us in one another. Do you have those kind of relationships? And I could, I could have equally say a whole, a whole story about my wife and that journey. But I, I purposefully chose Jeff because I want us to think, even as married couples in the room, and, especially, and obviously it, it, it goes without saying as singles in the room, but I want us to think about not just our spouse, spouses, but who women. Who are the women in your life that God has called you to walk together with in twos and threes? Men, who are the men in your life? That God has said, I want you to be vulnerable and I want you to allow your life to be open to these men so that you can grow deeper and stronger in the Lord. Who are you allowing into that inner space, That's that private space, that vulnerable space? We talked about being jars of clay, that place where people really know you. You see, with Jeff over the years, he confessed sin and I confessed sin one to another. And there are places of struggle and trial that in some ways, only Jeff and my wife know about me because he was in that deep place of journeying. There are, are memories in my, my, my mind of the last 20-something years where Jeff has held my wife and I like this, and he's wept over us and cried deep, painful tears because of the trials that we walked through together that we let him in on, that I let him in on, that he knew, and vice versa with him. 
he knows my weaknesses, and yet I knew that when he was not near me, he was covering me in his strength and love and protection. Do you have those kind of people in your life? And I could name Jeff, but I could name Jimmy. I could name David Pucci. I could name Brian Marcioni. I could name Travis Phillips. I could name a number of men in my life who at different seasons have been that and more to me and others in this room. I want to call each and every one of us that call the River Church their home, and if it's not your home but you're a passing through Christian, I want to call you to the same challenge. You need a brother or a sister two or three in your life that walk with you in that way and that you allow them to walk with you and you're committed in that way to them. Who are the twos? Who are the threes in your life? I want you to look with me at a, at a passage of Scripture that has been, has been um, stolen for wedding ceremonies and I want to I take it back this morning. Okay, We're going to take it out of the, the wedding ceremony context and we're going to bring it forward to the place where it applies to not just those who are getting married, but to all of us. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. A little bit of wisdom from the writer of Ecclesiastes that applies so profoundly to our lives today. Two people are better off than one. Can I get an amen? Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And hey, by the way, three are even better than two. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Two are better one, better than one, and three are better than two. We are better walking together than we are walking alone. I was talking to somebody just this week, actually at the end of the service last week, but then also carried this conversation into a conversation with another um, person about the... The, um, the struggle as Americans we have in living in a society that promotes independence. From our heroes in the movies to the Lone Ranger to Indiana Jones to whoever it is, it's the solo warrior, it's the, it's the lone commander, it's the born identity, it's the mission impossible that lands on usually one hero to win the day. There is no hero in the church except for Jesus. And Jesus has called us to do it together because we're not Jesus. Two are better than one. Three are better than two. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. God wants to assault my independence this morning. He wants to assault your independence and say, that you're better off finding somebody to walk with and not just somebody that you can command or direct or tell them what you need them to do, but where we mutually submit our one, ourselves one to another and humble ourselves in a way that allows us to be strong because 
we are covering each other's weaknesses. Jesus sent them out two by two to minister. You remember that? Jesus called people together to walk together in discipleship relationships because we're better off together than alone. I had this question. If you were alone in a forest and you fell, would you make a noise? Would anybody know that you made a noise if you fell alone in a forest? Would anybody be there to help you if you were alone? But if you walk together in a forest, if you walk together when you fall, you have help. Let's not be the tree in the forest. Let's be ones that walk together with the trees, walk together as companions, partners in life. How does Ecclesiastes break this down? Verse 9, we are encouraged to help each other succeed. Two, verse 9, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. I believe there's two components to success when we're helping one another and one of the components is, is that we really, really desire that the other person wins. We truly desire that the person that we're walking with, that it really is better off for me if you win. There is so much joy in you winning that it makes my life happy. Have you been around those people? Do you have those people in your life? that you know that they genuinely rejoice in your successes? They're not thinking, well, let me tell you about my success before you even finish talking about your success. Been around those people, right? Which ones do you want to hang out with? Which ones are the ones that spur you on? So I want to give you a visual where I'm going to try to remind you of these, 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 these points by asking my able assistant, Samuel, to come with me. Come up here with me. So Samuel's going to be in your mind all week long. What I want you to remember is that when we are for, when we are for another person, we, and when we are wanting, as Ecclesiastes talks about, we are believing for them to have success. That what we're thinking about all the time is how we can put, sit on my shoulder, just sit on it, Ugh! how we can get the other person up on our shoulder higher than us, so that they can be seen and celebrated for all the victory and the glory. Woo! Yeah, Sam won today. Sam won. Okay, I want that etched in your mind. He's coming back. So, when Jeff, when Jeff, before Jeff came to Boston with me, Jeff struck out to see a church started in Berlin, and he had a really hard time in Berlin. And when he came back, there was a season where he went through great discouragement, and part of the joy of my life was visiting him in his discouragement, and actually he lived in our home. And he was so discouraged at all, he, he jokes about it today, he said his favorite show was... Um, Gosh, what's the word? Blues Clues. He said, I don't know how I got to watch it, but he said, that guy on Blues Clues is really nice. 
you just made me happy watching Blue's Clues. And so Jeff would be hanging out in the house. He was, he was going through a serious depression, and I just, we'd find him just watching Blue's Clues. And then, and then we'd just hang out and we'd talk. And then when God put it in my heart to see the church started in Boston, the first person that came to my mind was Jeff. And people on the outside would say, why Jeff? He's so discouraged and depressed. He was so depressed when I asked him to be on my team. He was so depressed, he said, you want me on your team? He said, nobody's going to come to church. <laughs> I'm so discouraged. I said, Jeff, I believe in you beyond your depression right now. I believe that you are exactly who I need to walk with me, to be my brother so we could see this thing established. So he came. And God restored him. And for those of you who've been impacted by his life, you wouldn't even know the days of that deep discouragement because of the life of faith and joy that rests upon this man's life. But he came. He had a dream in his heart that he laid down. He said, Sean, I'll come because I want to see the dreams in your heart succeed. See, he didn't come because he had a huge vision for Boston. He came because he, was, he had a huge vision for what God was doing in my life. He said, I love you and Laura, and if you'll take me, I'll work as hard as I can to help this thing be established. Well, isn't that crazy? I mean, he, he not only came and he blessed us, but the blessing of who we are as a movement is because Jeff Yankee laid his life down here and loved Jesus passionately. Putting people on our shoulders so, they can, so, that, so that they can succeed, not so that we can get people around us to help us succeed. It's tricky, right? My desire for Jeff was not for me. It was for him. But what happened is, is his desire for me, it's mutual. It's, it's working. When we're others focused, all of a sudden what we are giving somehow hits us in the back. It's, you know, it comes back on us. But it's not so that we can get it back to us. It's because we did so much love to help another person succeed. Are you involved in a person's life to help them succeed? And the second component, I believe, is being willing to love them no matter the cost and no matter the challenge, to spark them to change. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I can tell you that in my relationship with Jeff, we didn't just put each other on each other's shoulders, but there were times when we spoke the truth in love. Why? Why? Because we wanted the best for one another. And who is most able to speak the truth in your life than the ones that you know love you? And the ones who love you pray and agonize over what they need to communicate. But they communicate because they know that the words that they speak, if shrouded in the love of God, will change that person's life. Success, helping one another succeed, is really loving the person and being willing to speak and live that love out, even if it's difficult, to sharpen and to strengthen and encourage our friends. The second part of Ecclesiastes, verse 10, of, of this, this, this dynamic, transformative group of two or three people in our life, is that if we fall, the other one can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Come here, come here Samuel. Want you to? Samuel's such a good son. 
I promise he's not getting any extra allowance this week for this, <laughs> just in his heart. So can you just like dramatically fall down? <laughs> just so people can see it. I mean, just do a really good, <laughs> or just fall. Or fall off, of the, fall off the stage. That'd be even better. <laughs> Go for it. Just fall. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. Let's see, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be terrible if he was in a forest by himself? But because, because your friend and father is here, he's out on the ground laughing his head off. Um, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to lift you up. And I'm going to look at you and make sure you're okay and give you a hug. Okay, sit down here. Come back. All right. So we got on the shoulder, but when we fall down, who's there to lift us up? Are you known? I'm not talking about if somebody um, knows your name. I'm actually not talking about how many Facebook friends you have or how many Instagram followers you have. I'm actually talking about the people that don't have to follow Facebook and Instagram to know you. That actually can perceive or know or relate to your life before you post. They know what you're going to post. Are you known? If you fell down, would someone come to help you up? And can I say this as one who has promoted being known as a pastor to others? Oftentimes, the people that are not known are the ones who are waiting for somebody to know them. I'll say, why aren't you connected with anybody? Nobody's calling me. Nobody's reaching out. Or I tried, and the try might have not been as full of effort as we would expect. I gave a call one time. You know, I threw out an email, and nobody responded. And therefore, you know what? I just don't think that people care about me. Well, that's really actually not the truth. The truth is, is that in the church and in your life, I truly believe that there are people that care about you. Now, people might be distracted. People might be busy. And that's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to go there. But to be known, to truly be known, can I just tell you that I've never had a problem with people wanting to know me. And I believe that one of the reasons why is that I'm in the business of trying to get to know people. I'm in the, I, I, my life is given to wanting to know you. Now, I can't know everybody. That's one of my problems, is I want to know too many people. But we need to be in a position where we are investing in and reaching out and loving and serving other people, and before you know it, you're going to be known. But if you are waiting... I find people that are waiting wait a long time. Because part of waiting and expecting for people to reach out to you, what happens is that you put up a wall where people think, I don't know if I can get in there. The expectations are too high. I don't know if I can break, I don't know if I have enough to get over the wall to know that person because I've tried and so my encouragement 
for you to not fall alone in the forest is for you to begin the process of going out to know others. I also believe that this falling in Scripture is, can be interpreted as when we fail and fall. What happens not only when you're alone or need that relationship, but that you're in a place where you need healing, you need rescuing. James 5 tells us, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This is true fellowship. When we are in our broken, most vulnerable place, when we have failed, when we have sinned, when we have harmed maybe ourselves, but probably other people, when we are in a place where we need cleansing and healing, do we have people in our life that we confess to, can confess to, that can know us in our ugliness? Are we transparent and humble? It can make us feel terrible. In my lowest moments when not just the occasional sin has happened, but in my moments in my life where there has been perpetual sin, there's been a pattern that needs breaking. And I know that the only place, even though I have confessed to the Lord, the place of hiddenness draws me, compels me to be vulnerable to another human being. As James said, so that I might be healed. There is power in confessing to the Lord, but there is another kind of power when we confess to one another because it produces not only a humility in us, but it produces or it demonstrates an eagerness in us to be set free. And in that place, I believe that God is saying, if, if we are willing to go to that place, there is a promise from heaven that we will be forgiven, we will be, we will be healed, and we will be restored. And part of that restoration process comes from having another person in our life that sits in the place of Christ and communicates in an earthly voice and with human touch and with worldly, uh, this world resolve to love and to persevere with us, we receive the grace of God. All of a sudden it makes sense. Oh, that's how God feels about me because this person is demonstrating it to me. Is there anybody in your life that in your deepest, darkest place, you can go there and you are known? We have to have those people in our lives where we can honestly confess, as this passage in James says, and to be forgiven. Knowing that the person on the other side has God's best in mind and he has your best in mind or she has your best in mind. And you know what people I like sitting across from me when I'm confessing? The people that I pursue to know, the people that I know deeply and that know me are the people who are humble and the ones who have been forgiven. The ones who have walked in a place of brokenness where they know I have no place to judge your confession because I have confessed myself. That I am a confessor myself and I need God's grace. One of the, one of the themes that we are promoting among our leaders in our church right now is that we, we, are, we are asking for people to be needy leaders. We want needy leaders. 
we don't want it, we don't want all put together, don't have any problems, don't need any grace from Jesus leaders. Because I know those kind of leaders are just hiding leaders. I want people that are aware of their brokenness, that are aware of their access of God's grace, and have fallen in front of Jesus in humility and asked for his mercy and his forgiveness and have received grace in their time of need. Hebrews 4, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, Jesus, he, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, the one that we walk, the two or the three that we walk with that are walking as needy leaders and who are humble and who are gracious and filled with forgiveness and love when we confess our sin, their greatest responsibility, our greatest, greatest opportunity is to take people into the presence of Jesus who can heal, who can restore, who does forgive, and who helps us in our time of need. Third, comfort. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Sam has been on my shoulder. He's fallen down. Ready to welcome Sam for the third illustration. Sam, let's, let's do this. You stand there. You're cold. Be cold. Try to keep warm. How cold are you? You, you, okay, yeah, that's better. <laughs> oh, doesn't that feel better? Are you warmer now? Yeah, good. Thank you. When we walk together, we warm each other. What does warm, this warmth symbolize? Comfort. And encouragement. We can try to comfort and encourage ourselves all that we want to, and we can get a little bit of warmth, just in the same way that if we do this, we can stay warm a little bit. But the true warmth that we need comes from another. The true comfort and encouragement that we need is from, a one, from somebody else. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Again, in the same vein that we just spoke about in regards to someone who's been forgiven has the grace to forgive and to extend grace in our times of confession. Someone who has received comfort from God and others has the ability and the desire to comfort others in their place of pain. Do you have somebody in your life that can comfort you not just on the, on the external, in the external places of life? Hey, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you or whatever. But that actually knows you enough to sit with you and not have to say anything. That you can feel that they love you to the place of embodying your pain. Don't we want to be known in that way? This is how Christ loves us. This is how Jesus loves us. But 
it's really good to have that presence in a person. Don't you want to be that kind of person to someone else? And lastly, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily protected. All right, Sam, come on up here one more time. Pull out your sword, please. Let me inspect it. And that'll do because you're fighting with me, and you're going to fight for me, okay? There's an enemy. There's enemies all around us. Get your sword up. <laughs> they're all around us, and we're fighting, but, but, but they're behind us. Okay, wait, wait, you stand that way. I'll stand this way, and we'll fight. Are you fighting? You look like you're just smiling. Kill, <laughs> kill somebody. All right, wait a minute. We need, we need a really strong muscular British man to help us. Is there any one of those guys around? I need a third person. Come on. Come here. Don't just sit there. He's got a pen. He must be 007. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Okay. <laughs> To, to, to help us succeed, to, uh, I just forgot my second point, to confess, but what was the, what, to, uh, yeah, 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 what was it? To help in difficulty when we fall, to comfort us, and then to protect us. How do we protect? How do we protect one another? What's the kind of, of person in our life, and what kind of person do we want to be in these places of intimate relationship so that we can protect? I believe the first way that we protect is we give courage to one another through encouragement. Encourage each other and build each other up daily, just as you are already doing. We give courage. We text. We call. We drive over. We stand with during those difficult times. And we say, you know what? You're going through it, but I'm with you, and you can do it. We speak, and we embody the encouragement of the Lord. And when we can't be near one another, but we know what they're going through, we are, when we can't be around the person, but we are off in another conversation or we're in another situation, we're always speaking well of one another behind our backs. You see, when we're not for one another, when somebody comes, let's say somebody comes and says something to me about Dan. They've got a critical thing they want to say about Dan, and Dan's my brother, and I'm committed to walking with him. And, and I don't know if Dan did what he did, what they're saying or not. But I know Dan, and I know that Dan's desire is not to hurt or to, to destroy, or, or even if he did something that was wrong, I know that that's not what his desire would be. And so when they bring that to me, I don't leave Dan's side. I don't leave him unguarded. But I speak on Dan's behalf for him and say, you know what, I don't know what happened with Dan, but I can tell you this about Dan. That if he did something wrong, he's going to repent to you. But maybe you misunderstand him because I know Dan's heart. Dan, Dan loves and is an encourager and wants the best for people. So maybe you've misunderstood him. But whatever the case is, I want you to know that Dan is a good and godly man. And I vouch for who he is. And I'll stand with him. I'm speaking on his behalf. Versus, yeah, 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 you know, I know. 
Yeah, Dan. <laughs> and we pray. Don't you love it when you have people in your life that are praying? So this morning in prayer, there was um, a picture that one of our leaders had, and it was of a ship that was at a dock, and there were multiple ropes and anchors that were tying this ship to the dock. And one by one, those cords, those ropes were cut, releasing the boat to be able to go out into the water. And I really believe this morning that as we listen to Sean bring the word to us and we read the word of God and we have the truth hit our heart, that there's many of us that have these cords, these ropes, and these anchors that are tying us down. And as I was praying in the service and I shared this with Sean, I really feel like the Lord is highlighting this morning a particular chain, a particular anchor that he wants to cut off and release us to go out in freedom. And the anchor that he highlighted to me, the chain he highlighted to me this morning is the I'm all set anchor. Now you guys laugh because you've probably heard somebody say that in response to you. But I know myself, I've often said that back. It's classic New England. It is, I'm all set. It's, that's good for you. That's good for the leaders of the church. I can see maybe where there's some value in, in going deep and being authentic and being vulnerable. But you know what, Pastor? I'm all set right now. And I actually feel like what it highlights is it says, I'm all set to God. We're being called to go into this place of saying, Jesus, you are the only option. There is no plan B in my life. I've put all my cards to the center. When you say that, when you get to that place of complete surrender and say, there's no plan B, it's all you, then you can't be all set. Because Jesus is calling us into a greater depth of freedom. It's not about shame. It's not about highlighting your sin. It's not about guilt. It's about freedom. And I'm sorry, but part of the plan that Jesus has for us to walk in authentic freedom is to do it with brothers and sisters along our side.